Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. God did the coolest thing when he got a hold of a gangbanger, transformed his life, and sent him to Southeast Asia. We'll talk about that and more in episode 162 of the Engaging Missions Show with Tobias. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensinger. Thanks so much for subscribing to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm really glad that you're back. And if this is your first time, welcome. We're great to, it's great to have you. This week, we're going to be hearing from Tobias, and that's a pen name. He's got a lot of stuff that, that's really interesting, a lot of things that God's done in his life, a lot of transformation. But before we get to that, I want to mention that uh, the first weekend in November, I'm going to be attending a missions conference in Atlanta, Georgia. It's put on by the Assemblies of God as part of their kids' ministry. They've got a couple that's going to be there. They're raising funds for some work that they're doing among the Muslims, some materials that they're putting together that will be used globally. My hope is that I'll be able to connect with some pastors and some youth ministers, people that are involved in connecting people with missions to hear their heart. I also want to be able to interview the couple. I'm hoping to put that together as a special episode and maybe also connect with some of the other attendees. If you're going to be there, please make sure that you let me know. You can either tweet me at Engaging Mission on Twitter or send a, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I would absolutely love to meet you. I think this is going to be a great thing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to be there, to meet some people, and also to commit to a fundraising goal. That's something that I want to do through the show is raise some funds for what they're doing. I know that a lot of you are already committed to other things, and so I don't want to overextend any of you, but I do want to be able to do this as an opportunity uh, for you if you're looking for something. I'll be checking in on Twitter and Facebook while I'm there, so if you're interested in following along, just make sure that you've liked the page or that you've followed me on on Twitter, and you'll hear from me. Uh, That's just kind of what I've got coming up. Also, at the end of this episode, we're going to be hearing from Brian Hogan. He and I just checked in a couple weeks ago, kind of caught up on what he's got going on, just got back from some stuff in Africa. He's got a lot of trainings coming up, and he also finished publishing the audio version of his book, A Sheep in My Bathtub. It's a great read. I just finished it. He and I catch up. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. That'll be at the end of the show. With that, we're going to get right into Tobias. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. Today, I'm really excited to have with me Tobias. And I do want to mention that we're using a pen name for security reasons because Tobias is a, he's referred to himself as a Southeast Asian gangbanger who found Jesus and is now serving in a cross-cultural context among unreached people in a closed communist country. So, Tobias, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate this and appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you. So, 
that introduction is just the one line, but there's a lot in there. Cross-cultural context, unreached people in a closed communist community. We're going to get to know a little bit more about your ministry a little bit later. Right now we're focusing on you, but would you mind sharing just in a couple of sentences what it is that you mean when you say ministering cross-culturally among unreached people in a closed communist country? I think it's just a uh, trendy way to say I am a missionary working in a closed country for those who speak that language. But for the most part, I actually am Southeast Asian. So my parents are refugees from Southeast Asia. And so I identify with just, you know, people who come from different places and are minorities. And I grew up in the United States in different places. We did a lot of moving because we actually got into a lot of trouble, my brother and I. And just being refugees, we grew up in some pretty rough communities. Uh, many people that come for the first time are struggling with different languages. Of course, my parents didn't even speak English. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I actually heard about Jesus for the first time. And it was through a couple who was a missionary couple working in the inner city of Los Angeles. And I had just gotten out of juvenile hall. It was my first time meeting a couple that was white and was not my probation officer, <laughs> you know, was not my uh, school principal, but they actually didn't judge me for who I was. And I was just blown away by the love and the intention and just the message that God can change me. And so that really began my journey. I was probably a uh, freshman in high school. Okay. So that's, that's kind of quick background. Wow, that, that's amazing. And you've, you've given us a lot of stuff to potentially talk about right now. And I guess kind of one of the first things I'm thinking is I don't have the experience of having been a refugee or having come to live in a different country. I mean, I've lived in the U.S. my entire life. It's the only thing I know. What was that experience life like for you? What was it like to be an outsider in the U.S.? I think that speaks heavily into who I am today as far as, you know, culture and identity because it reminds me so much of Jesus uh, laying aside his heavenly glory and coming to live with human beings and, you know, identifying with those who are destitute and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And so in the same way, I grew up in mostly Asian communities, and it was these communities that my parents were trying to find a place for us to have an education, an opportunity. We grew up as Buddhists. There were times where I, I was actually a Buddhist monk, a novice monk, mm. right, in a temple, you know, you know, wearing the orange robe, yeah. the bald head. That was me as, as, as a teenager. And it was mostly just, you know, following my parents' tradition. But for the most part, I grew up in these really diverse communities. And it was these inner cities that, you know, we were trust, really just trying to survive, trying to earn respect. And a lot of that led to violence and, and, and drugs. And of course, you know, my family was broken and we could not find the answer. My mom kept moving from state to state. And it wasn't until I, like I mentioned, I, I got out of juvenile hall and I met this, this couple who were intentionally living and working amongst Southeast Asian refugees. And they had a vision to raise up young people and cast vision and make disciples with the intent that they may one day go back and make disciples amongst the nations. And, you know, and that actually, you know, is kind of my story. So now I'm back in Southeast Asia, which, which I had never would have thought. <laughs> and, but yes, that's, that's our, our story. Wow. So I, th I think you mentioned earlier that you have a brother as well. Are you the only believer in your family or has God converted more of them? I was the first to come to faith. Okay. And 
my mom was just blown away at my change and she came to faith in Jesus just a mm. year later. Again, I was living in this group home in LA and my parents were way on the other side in Michigan, but she found a, a kind of a local Southeast Asian church in her community. And she just found what she was looking for this whole time. But it took, it took, so my father, he's still, he's still a Buddhist and my brother, it's only been about two to three years since he really committed his life and his family to Jesus. And it's taken about 15 years to see my brother make that commitment. Wow, that, that's amazing. So as you think about your, your life and your, your ministry and what it is that you're doing now, is there maybe a, a meaningful quote or a scripture that's been really foundational to what you do and how you do it? Yeah, I remember just like I mentioned, I was sitting in this apartment complex in L.A. with a bunch of other gangbangers. We called them knuckleheads, you know, like back <laughs> in the day. A bunch of Asian guys, you know, sagging their pants, bald-headed and it was the first time I was hearing about this God who created the world, and I was just blown away by this message. And I didn't actually come to faith that night, but I just couldn't sleep, and it was very clear. And so when I got home, I was on the bed, and I just simply said, God, I need change. I can't do this. I'm going to end up either in prison or dead. And not long after that, that missionary couple kind of took me in along with some other ex-gang members, and we actually moved to San Diego to start a inner-city multi-ethnic church. And it was the first time that I also heard about this passage, and it came. It comes from Romans 10, 12. And basically, it's, it's Paul talking about how there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, mm. you know, right? There's no difference between black and white. And here I was, this little Asian kid, you know, and, and to me, Christianity was always this white person's religion. And this is me growing up in America. That, mm-hmm. that, that's my that's my worldview. But this passage says there's no difference. And how could anyone call on a you know if 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 they are to be saved, they need to call in the name of the Lord. And how could they call um, unless they believe? How can they believe unless they hear? How could they hear unless someone shares? How can someone share unless they are sent? And how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. And I was like this white couple from the Midwest, very normal. Uh, left their comfort zone and their community to to L.A. to reach out to somebody like me. Jesus left heaven to reach out to humanity. And I, you know, and it made sense. No one's left this place to reach out to the millions of lost people all around the 1040 window, which is the area of the world where there are many, many people who are living in poverty and, and, and just, you know, spiritual hunger. Mm. And so there's just millions of people in this part of the world. And so for the first time, I heard that verse, I heard about the unreached, and I was like, what? That makes perfect sense. That's what I want to do. I want to go, and I want to be the feet that bring good news. And so that's that's kind of been my vision ever since I heard that passage, wow. and that was planted in my heart. That, that's that's really cool. Now, I'd like to go back for just a second, because you had mentioned that you were, I think you called it a junior monk, or a novice monk is what it was. And yeah. A lot of people would think, you know, in terms of the Buddhist religion, that you're you maybe haven't arrived, but you're definitely on the path to a a form of leadership or a, you know that that kind of thing. You're heavily involved. You're you're definitely sort of there or on the way there. Now you're a missionary. A lot of Christians would look at that and go, "Hey, you know, you've basically arrived." Can you share a little bit, maybe, about how those two worlds are different and how God continues to work in you to to grow you and to move you toward His will for your life? Yeah, I mean, it's really speaks into just, 
you know, what it, what's it like to step into one world and enter into another, mm. you know? And again, that comes from me being unchurched. And the first time I actually went to church, it was, it was just a community. We were just a community in the inner city living together, you know, for, for the, from the, the moment that I came to faith, we were out praying for others and sharing our stories. And so mission was just in my DNA. And so when I thought about, you know, what's it like for us to actually share with the Buddhists, you know, I, I remember, I remember being in the temple, praying to these statues and these idols. I was just earnestly asking for them to just help my family and us, you know, from whatever. And it was silence. The idols didn't speak back, you know. And so whenever I go into a different community, especially a Buddhist community, I, I, I go with those thoughts in mind. You know, where, where are they coming from and how could I come to their level and speak their language? And a lot of times when we talk to Buddhists, you know, we don't really start with, hey, you know, <laughs> we don't really start with Jesus, but we start in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We start with, with creation. We, we start with sin. And for us, we actually tell stories. And uh, Jesus is not just somebody who can... Um, you know, save you from your sins and give you eternal life. But he's, uh, because for the Buddhists, you know, they're trying to escape eternal life. I mean, they're, they believe in reincarnation coming back mm. for, you know, so, so, so we don't say <laughs> Jesus offers eternal life, but Jesus offers you a life abundantly now and you can escape that cycle, you know, of, of, of sin. And so, so just, just thinking about different worldviews and contextualizing our message, that's always been just a key importance for, uh, for me and passing that on to others. Wow, that's, that's really cool. So I'm just maybe one more question as we kind of tie a bow on this section. You've been in a, a cross-cultural context for quite some time. You've spent a lot of time as a Southeast Asianer in the United States. Now you're back in a closed country, or a country that thinks it's closed anyway, being able to minister <laughs> the gospel. Those kind of experiences don't come without challenges. Can you share with us a time when you faced some significant challenge and then how God moved in your life? Yeah, I would say there are maybe a few challenges in different categories. I think one is identity. Mm. Again, just coming from somebody who is unchurched, we're not, you know, the color of our skin, uh, the country that we come from, our nationality, the language that we speak. I mean, those are all important things that God loves and he uses and, and he desires for us to, to use for his kingdom. But that's not who we are. And being from America, you know, I didn't grow up in white communities. And so when I'm in these contexts of churches, you know, I don't really fit in. Hmm. And then when I'm in Asia, you know, the average Asian person is like really short and dark, especially when you're talking about villagers, mm-hmm. right? Because I work in, in a rural setting um, and I'm tall. I got facial hair, you know, <laughs> and so I don't actually fit in here. Right. Um, and so you have to really, really wrestle with who you are in Christ, because that's what matters. The world's opinions, how they categorize that, that it's really not important. And so the first thing is, you know, I, I really had to wrestle with who, who am I? You know, that's the first thing. Who am I? And I'm a child of God and I'm his representation. I'm his ambassador. And that's what's matter. You know, am, am I willing to, to throw off my identity so that I can become all things to all men so that by doing so they may come to know Jesus? Uh, so identity is a huge one. And the second one, of course, is just security. I think there's a lots of sometimes when we hear of you know, closed access countries or communist countries, we can get really uh, scared or, or, or turned off. But for the most part, people are open. They want to know. They're curious. When you talk about the unreached, they have never heard. And so 
to present a story, something as awesome and supernatural as God creating the world. I mean, they want to listen, but when that story begins to clash with how people interact with their everyday and their worldview, that's when things become dangerous. And so we have to be careful, you know, about presenting the story in a way that those can understand, but also presenting it to to families and not just individuals, because especially in this Asian culture, there are a lot of backlash that people can 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 get. So a lot of persecution comes from just misunderstanding within, uh, you know, the family or the village. Um, why are you believing in a foreign white person's God? Mm. You know, I mean, that's that's how I used to think in the States. And so I'm dealing with those thoughts even here in, in, in this region. Uh, but at the same time, it's a matter of going back, creating a foundation, speaking their language, and um, um, yeah, sharing the gospel. Wow, that, that's a powerful statement. One of the things that really stood out to me was the comment about uh, who you are in Christ is what's, what really matters. That, that right there is worth the price of admission for this show. I, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. It's something that I need to keep in mind as well. With that, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. Hey, Engaging Missions listeners, this is Jim Baker from Episode 119. Thank you so much for being a faithful listener to this show. Brian has been a huge encouragement to me personally and to my podcast, Doing Ministry Well. After a long hiatus, we finally have some new episodes up, and we'd love it if you check it out over at doingministrywell.com. All right, we're back with Tobias, and he's shared some powerful stuff about his life, about how he came to Christ, about how God's moving in his his life right now. Now we're shifting our focus a little bit more toward the ministry and what God's doing in this unnamed closed country or seemingly closed country in Southeast Asia. So, Tobias, as we think about your life and your ministry, would you mind sharing maybe a little bit specifically about what it is that you do when you're ministering and then how you approach that? I was about 24 when we first left the United States, and we've been here now for about nine years, close to a decade. So that's really crazy, mm. considering I'm, you know, 33, still pretty young. I would say still pretty young and, you know, dumb and full of <laughs> grand ideas about seeing entire nations come to faith in Jesus, just things like that. But that was what our vision was when we first left. We just wanted to serve. We had open hands. We wanted to see those who didn't have access have access. And so we left. There were many different options about schooling and whatnot, but it was more like, okay, let's just step out of faith and then see where the Lord leads us and see what we need in order to fulfill that vision. And so we arrived in this country, learned language, culture. Um, At that point, we did not have any children. Now we have three. And God took us in this direction, and he really used things that we've experienced in the past, just from planning multi-ethnic church and in inner city, stuff that I've done in social work. But all that stuff was kind of an urban setting, and God actually brought us to this rural setting, this place where millions of people who had never heard, many of them steeped in animistic beliefs, which is, you know, belief in spirits and ancestors, and that mixed together with Buddhism, you know, so you have temples and you have idols and statues. I think what you mentioned earlier was that you're making disciples and, and some of that stuff that kind of triggers some some keywords in my head as far as like training for trainers or discipleship model, things like that. Can you share with us how you're making disciples? That's at the core of really what we do. We spent many different years trying various things as far as platform. I think it's important to understand in a creative access country, you can't actually do the traditional missionary things that people kind of 
see, you know, in videos and in the pictures. You can't actually live amongst the people. So you have to really ask your question, what is it going to take to see a movement amongst thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, especially if you're responsible for that many people. Mm. Responsible meaning that is your focus group. So for us, our target group was about 100 and at first, it was about 140,000 of this ethnic group. We'll just call them the sunny people. The sunny people is just a pseudonym that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, an, they're an animistic people group mixed with Buddhism. And we had no idea they existed until we arrived and we saw them and we heard about the needs. And so what does it look like to see a disciple amongst the sunny? You know, years ago, I would say about four years ago, there were no churches, not a single church amongst the sunny, probably less than 10 believers. And there were about, like I mentioned, over 100,000. And after trying various platforms for entry, business and whatnot, we decided to stick with Luke chapter 10, Matthew 10, and the Word of God. Really went, went back to the Word of God and looked at other and the book of Acts and other missionaries who have done different things in coast access countries and really just stopped studying discipleship. We stopped going to trainings. We stopped talking about it. And we began to actually enter into the field in faith. And I think that was a first, really, we began to see things happen as we stepped out in faith. And what I'm simply talking about is we spent about five to six years understanding our context. And over the past three to four years, we've been going out, taking teams, prayer walking, going into these different villages and building off relationships that we know, and then meeting new people, people who are sick, people who are possessed by evil spirits, people who are, you know, chained up by the foot because they, they, they've been smoking crystal meth and their parents are afraid they're going to run away. But you meet these people and they say, can you help me? Do you have medicine? And, and we say, well, we have a story about a creator who created the world and he loves you. And from there, we, we, we present a very short gospel presentation. And many times we see encounters, displays of God's power. Sometimes there are people who are healed. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes sick people come to churches. So, that, so there are many different ways. But for the most part, we enter into the field of faith. We look for people that God's prepared. We call them people of peace. And then from those from those individuals, they reach their families, uh, they reach their villages, and we actually have a plan of following up with different leaders. And I think you've mentioned it before, we actually follow this process called training for trainers. Mm. And it's a very simple, uh, reproducible way of actually training leaders to actually train others. And we're looking at generational growth amongst the sunny people. So just to summarize, we've now have, uh, we've seen over 250 sunny believers, and there are probably 14 different village churches wow. uh, that are mixed, some with sunny, some with different ethnic groups. But for the most part, that's been within the last three years. That is incredible. I was going to ask you a little bit about the results, and it's always a tricky question to ask because as as a Native American, not not as an American native, rather, it's really easy to focus on the typical success things, right? How many people have you led to Christ? How many churches have you started? All of that kind of stuff. And I know that that's not usually the way the kingdom works, that the kingdom works by sowing and reaping. And as I'm thinking about this, obviously, it's a walk of faith. You had to take those steps of faith, but I think you probably also have to see in faith. So as you look at these groups of believers, these churches, the people that you've ministered to, what, what do your eyes of faith see for them in the future? Sometimes it's discouraging, you know, it's, it's messy. I mean, that's 250 new 
Sunny believers. In addition to 250, we've seen the entire province grow. I mean, there's an additional, an additional maybe 300 believers, new believers. So, in addition to the Sunny people, we've seen other ethnic groups come to faith because mm. they're reaching out. Uh, so that's super encouraging. But of course, not all groups kind of continue. Not all groups reproduce, mm-hmm. and some of the greatest hindrances are. Sadly to say, just existing Christians, the church, we call them legacy churches, churches that have been around for a while that are just, I would say, you know, I do a lot of writing too, but um, I see a lot of parallels, you know, and I, I, I grew up in the States. And so those are the churches that I'm, I'm talking about, but basically churches that are really focused on attracting people. They're focused on passing on knowledge. And it's really difficult when you're working in a country where you have to work with others because in Asia, you got to work with others. You know, there's no lone wolf around here. Mm. Um, uh, working to get together for the kingdom, and it's great partnership, but it comes at costs uh, because those costs are sometimes there. There are different leaders passing on different things that are not reproducible. You know, you go out and you meet with different leaders, two to three individuals, and then you know you bring a a pastor of a local church from from the city with you just to kind of cast vision, and you give him. You know, you, you have to give respect to, to, to your elders and to other Asian leaders. And so he's, you know, we're, we're, we're helping the leaders practice storytelling and obedience type discipleship. And by the end of the, the lesson, you know, he, t- he, he, he reaches into his backpack and he gives him a daily bread, right? Mm-hmm. A daily bread tr- translated into the local language. But, you know, the daily bread is this Western devotional that people use in the morning mm-hmm. and the, the st- stories translated, you know, to the local language. And so that just kind of what you call it, just kind of, you know, everything we've just showed them and taught them and trained them and modeled with them as far as, you know, discovering the scripture, applying what you learn, sharing it with somebody else, and then to hand them something that's completely different. That's, that's a huge hindrance to growth. And so we've seen a few groups actually not grow. Some die out. Most of them are the ones that have had existing churches actually come and uh, kind of provide their input. Mm. Yeah, that, that's inc- it's incredible to think how God works in those various ways, but obviously there are some significant challenges in working with, with the different people. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit struggling with how to frame this up because I've also heard that very often the, the Buddhist people are the hardest to reach of the major world religions. And it's in part because of their worldview and then also in part because sometimes Buddhism is mixed in practice with other animistic things. And it can be a really interesting mix of things that are maybe not the same from person to person or region to region. How have you been able to connect with the Buddhist people and to share the love of Christ in a way that they can understand and then take, take for their own? Yeah, I think it's important to really understand your context. Of course, that's kind of, you know, missions 101, uh, knowing the culture, the language, the worldview. But you'd be surprised how many people come to the field and they kind of don't do their homework. You know, they feel like they can start a church or a movement without, you know, really learning the language. And then, of course, we have many short-term teams that come um, and feel like they can make a long-term impact. So what I'm saying, in order to see Buddhist people come to faith, you need to have a long-term vision. You need to have a long-term commitment because it's going to take a long time. For the animists, it's, it's very different. For people who are very steeped in, in, in evil, demonic practices, right? Uh, in their worldview, the spirits are interacting with them every single day. When they get sick, when something goes wrong, 
when they have an accident, it's misfortune in the spiritual world. Mm. And so we see a lot of power encounters and healings. In the Buddhist world, it's a little bit different. I mean, in the Buddhist world, we spend more time just going back to the beginning, you know, setting a solid foundation, sharing stories and talking about sin and asking questions. And so we have not, personally, we have not seen huge amounts of Buddhists who do come to faith, but those who do come to faith would say they're Buddhists, but at the same time, in their heart, they worship spirits. Mm. So you, you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. that, so that's why it's important for us to actually do our homework, because when we speak to their worldview, we can share about the spirit world. And we can share about the story in Isaiah of Satan, you know, wanting to be like God and wanting to sit on the throne. And then all the angels kind of followed him and they became demons. And then you go into the story of creation. And then it makes sense when the snake comes into the garden. Oh. And so that, that really speaks to their worldview. Yeah, that, that's, that's really cool. And, and I, I think I'd like to go back for just a second, because now you've mentioned that there were sometimes some challenges with short-term teams thinking they can make a long-term impact without knowing the culture. You've mentioned that sometimes there are challenges with leaders, whether local leaders or distant leaders, who share things that are different from what or different at their core from what you've been working with overall. As I think about people in the U.S., a lot of people want to go on a short-term trip, but they may not know for sure how to prepare, how to how to make that kind of impact and how to come and partner with a local, a local ministry like yourself. Do you have maybe one or two insights that would help people best prepare to be good partners when they arrive for something short-term? Just like when we meet with individuals, you know, obey what you already know and you're willing to spend three or $4,000 on a ticket to come to a cross-cultural setting, but have you actually when have you actually gone down to your local inner city? I mean, you may be living in a rural area or you may be living in the Midwest. It doesn't matter. But there are places within America to get cross-cultural experience mm. um, with our world. There's no excuse. You know, you can learn about Muslims besides the Internet. <laughs> you can learn about Buddhists. You can go into a restaurant. You know, you'll find that you go into this Thai restaurant and you'll find out that the cooks are like Lao or like they're from Cambodia. And then you can ask their stories. And so any team that really comes, we try to encourage them to practice what they know. You know, you're going to learn about a different culture and a language. Start from where you are. Do some research and then engage into the, the local communities. For us, we actually do prayer walking, um, especially in the creative access country. It's more like prayer and motorbiking and trying not to die type <laughs> thing. Because you got to go across rivers and over mountains and streams. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. There's, we have lots of videos and a lot of people who crashed. But for the most part, we say, if you're going to come and actually, you know, do something, do it where you are, especially when it comes to praying in a cross-cultural setting. Most people have not actually gone out and just kind of prayed throughout their neighborhood. You know, they haven't really gone down to, to the local neighborhoods downtown or whatever and just kind of prayer walked. That's something really simple that you can do to really prepare yourself for what you're going to experience. And then by the time you get here, you're going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I've been to this Buddhist temple or I've been to this mosque and I've, 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 I've kind of seen just the basic worldview and now I'm just going to get a deeper experience. I think for those who are prepared, it becomes a very, very valuable experience for others. It's kind of just this, yeah, this, this crazy summer trip that kind of fades into the background and uh, people don't really have any way to apply what they've experienced. 
That, that's, that's powerful. As I think about prayer walking, I guess I just have maybe one more question to kind of tie a bow on this section. It can seem a little bit difficult to get started with prayer walking. Do you recommend that somebody start on their own, that they partner with somebody? How, how do you recommend somebody get started? I think there's definitely people within any faith community that are willing to step out. Um, we call them apostolically gifted type people, uh, not that they're apostles by definition, but they like to, to, to go and to pioneer new places. And sometimes you won't find them sitting in the pew, but you'll find them outside on the street. And so what I'm saying is identify the people in your faith community that are willing to go and to share. Not everyone is, you know, gifted that way. You don't have to be gifted. Um, but what I'm saying is there are people who are, who are resources within your harvest that, that, that you can begin to do those things with. The pastor and the teacher are going to be focused on pastoring and teaching, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you need people to, to be that arm of mission, to be that arm of speaking truth and evangelism. And so find people that you can identify with, go as a partner. And there are a lot of resources online too, just to, to simply pray uh, as, as you walk. But we call it praying insightfully, praying on site with insight. There you go. Because as you go, you can see people, you can smell the smells, you can touch the things. And it's just a great way to just um, pray with relevance. Wow. Praying on site with insight and finding people within your faith community that are already gifted in that way. That's great. With that, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward the listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. I kind of felt like I went through three waves of exactly what you just talked about. And the first wave was moving to Haiti, for example, just being struck by by the suffering in a way, which is that, you know, just the, the lack of uh, of supplies, the lack of food, enough food sometimes, or, or just basic conveniences. Uh, then the second stage, and I think people who go on short-term missions would experience this sometimes too, but then you spend some time and get to know, oh, well, uh, it's also there are people who tell jokes and have friendships and relationships and joy and tell stories. And so you see that that joy is really beautiful. But then what I found by spending more time and living there is then the third phase was being there long enough where I wasn't just in and out of their lives, but experienced a bit of life together and saw the grind of poverty is just unbelievably hard. So the same people who would be smiling and receiving a short-term team or something, but to see year after year, you know, struggling to send your kids to school or your daughter gets malaria and you can't get medical care for her or, or, or your son dies from something that you just, he wouldn't have died of in Haiti or in the U S and, and to not have a vocation that was meaningful and, and think there's probably no prospect of ever having a job that was really meaningful and that could provide really well for your family. And so that the third phase was kind of going beyond seeing that joy and just see the, the grind and the, the pain um, that continues. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the engaging mission show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Tobias. We've been sharing some, some great resources and some perspective on what they have going on in in Southeast Asia. Now we're shifting our focus more toward you as the listener. But before we start talking about resources and mindset, I wanted to ask Tobias a little bit more about what they have going on. So Tobias, as you think about what you're doing right now, it's fueled by a vision. Would you mind sharing with us what that vision is? 
I think you've had some other people mention this as I listened to your podcast, but it really is about that end goal, that picture that we want to see, because our job is not to actually be here forever. I think there are people, missionaries and teachers and pastors who just have this presence. And again, it's not about us building our own kingdom. It's about us imparting what we know, just like Jesus did with his disciples. And for us, my wife and I and our family, we want to see every tongue, every tribe, every nation before God's throne, worshiping him. And of course, that comes from Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. But the vision specifically is to see a church within walking distance of every sunny village in this country, reaching out a mission to those around them and beyond. And we're beginning to see that. We're, we, you know, we've seen second, third generation churches. Uh, we're seeing them actually share with their neighbors and other villages of different ethnic groups, different ethnic groups that are even smaller and and their languages are dying out and that is amazing that is just i mean praise god for that but again we don't plan on being here forever and our role is just i've always seen our role as as the scaffolding by which the church and the movement is built and one day that scaffolding is going to be taken down and so envision is everything and for us it's about seeing disciples making disciples and healthy churches reproducing healthy churches and you know, we don't know what the future holds. This this vision, we've as we've seen it, is is taken us, and we may be here for another two, or another three, another four years. Okay, so now let's shift our focus more to our toward our listeners. What would you say to somebody who's called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they're doing really does matter for the kingdom? That's a great question. I mean, for one thing, it does matter. And that's the first realization that people need to make uh, because you don't have to be a full-time pastor or a missionary to engage in God's work and his kingdom. That's what it's all about. It's about who are the people within our sphere of influence? Who, who are the people within our oikos, which is just the Greek word for household, but who, who are the people that we see day in, day out? And how can we begin to spread seed? How can we begin to, to engage in spiritual conversations? And I just had a conversation with one of my old teammates who was, is now back in the States, just kind of in a support mm-hmm. role. And, you know, I was, you know, asking him, hey, brother, have you been doing what we do in Asia? Have you, find, have you been finding anybody to really just kind of invest in? And he was like, ah, oh, not yet. I've been busy, you know, back in the States. That's what we do, man, nine to five. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man. Nine to five, I mean, that's all right. But who are the people that you interact with in that nine to five that need to know and obey Jesus? I mean, even if they are believers, pre-believers, long-time believers, everybody needs a step of faith that they need to take. And so what is that for that person? And how could you push them in that direction? Is it a simple prayer, right? Is it really equipping them to actually share their faith with someone? You know, is it helping them get out of some bad situation? But if we're not intentional about making disciples, it's not going to happen. Wow, that was, that was a pretty deep answer. There's a lot of meat there. If, if you're listening and you're feeling challenged, then you're alongside with me feeling challenged as well. Tobias, as you think about somebody who's living here in the States or in North America, and they're beginning to look around and they're going, you know, my, my world is becoming different. My neighbors, my coworkers, the people I see at the grocery store are more and more from other places. They come from other world religions. Maybe they come from a country where I think that only missionaries go. Maybe they come from a communist country in Southeast Asia. What would you share for, with somebody in that situation? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And it's very obviously right now relevant in our country today. There's lots of things going around in, in social media and the news that are really polarizing people. 
But for the most part, fear comes from being unaware. You know, uh, we don't know what our neighbors' lives are like, and, mm. and, and we don't know what type of food they eat. Uh, we don't know their stories and their histories, and that causes us to, to assume things, you know? I mean, I grew up in that assumption. I grew up as that Asian gangbanger, right, who uh, police officers and teachers wouldn't, 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 wouldn't give the time of the day because we were rejects of society. But it's in those people who are strangers, in those people who are different. I mean... Again, you're interviewing me, but you know you don't know the people that I know. You know, you, you know we're, we're interviewing all these people who have names and who have degrees and and who have things to say. But at the end of the day, the, the heroes of the faith are those who don't have any names. You know, yeah. the heroes, um, those who actually catalyze movements are not are not not me, but they're local partners. And what I'm saying is, there's there's so much treasure and joy in getting to know people who are different. Um, because we can begin to engage, uh, we can begin to love, and we can begin to, to, you know, to learn about Islam and to learn about Buddhism within our own communities. And when we become aware, that's when we be, we can become concerned. That's when we can become engaged, and then that's when we can be, be actually become advocates, right, for those who are completely lost, mm. uh, minority groups, ethnic groups, uh, social, you know, different groups. And so it begins by learning. Wow, that was great. As you were sharing that, my my mind went immediately to Hebrews 11, to the, the the list of names of people who are named, and then the comment, and so many more whose names aren't even here, and who the world wasn't worthy of. And my question to you as the listener is, are you willing to be one of those people whose name isn't listed? Are you willing to invest your life knowing that nobody ever may know, nobody outside of God may ever know what you've done, but the comment about your life would be that the world wasn't worthy of you. That That's just my question. That's my challenge for myself and also for you. Tobias, is there maybe a resource or a book or something that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yes, as far as to get more of my thoughts on things, which is not very important, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, we do have a different a blog called Asian Rough Rider, and you can follow me there. And I also follow through Twitter with Asian Rough Rider. But again, uh, I would encourage people who want to engage in, uh, with relationships to really find, again, people who are willing to, to go out. And there are many, many different resources and networks online, different things that can help you sharing your faith and leading people in obedience to Jesus. And so actually there, there are a lot of websites, but I'm not going to start listing it off, but I think, uh, Brian, you can give some of those as well. Yeah, I can. Can you maybe just list one that you've found to be really valuable, and we'll make sure that that ends up in the show notes? Uh, yes, actually, there's, uh, it's, first, you know, specific people, there's uh, No Place Left, um, okay. that is a group of practitioners and who are trying, you know, principles of, of God's kingdom growth and, and, and just engaging in their communities in a way that's very simple, but no place left. I think it's noplaceleft.com. And that's a great resource. And from there, you can find many other different blogs and people doing the same thing. Okay. Yeah. And for, for those of you who are listening, we will have all of this linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Tobias. So if you're driving to work or you're working out right now, you don't have to try and text yourself to remember it. Just stop by the show notes and we'll have the links right there. So we're just about done, Tobias. Do you have maybe one last piece of advice to share with us? Yes. That was great. Just your, your challenge as far as um, Hebrews. Again, 
those those are the, those are the heroes. And uh, I, I've been out here for almost a decade, and we are planning uh, different future events. But at, at you know at the moment we don't know what the future holds, and we're just gonna be able to you know step out in faith and trust that God is going to use us for whatever He has for us. But at the end of the day, we want to be faithful. And I'm, I'm hoping that my wife and I can one day say, God, we've been faithful and we can actually see the sunny people worship in heaven with you. Not, not just 100 or 250, but we want to see thousands of sunny people worshiping in heaven with you. And so let's just be faithful to that. Let's just be faithful to pursuing God's heart and his glory amongst the nations. Wow, that's good. And you, you mentioned your website. Is that the best way for people to connect with you? Yes, that's, that's, that's the best way to connect with me. And you can also check out our ministry website, which is MekongKingdomMovement.com. So Mekong Kingdom Movement. Okay, and can I include a link to that in the show notes as well? Yes. All right, I don't want to put anything out there that compromises your safety or anything like that. So I just want to make sure that we're good with that. Tobias, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you, Brian. Wondering what's going on in the world? It's time for a quick check-in. This is Engaging Missions from the Field. All right, so I have Brian Hogan with me here. We're going to give a quick update. He was on the show before, but a lot has happened since the last time he was on the show, and I, I wanted him to maybe share a little bit about what's been going on in his life and ministry. So, Brian, welcome back. Oh, Thank you very much, Brian. Yeah, it's good to be here. So before we started this, I had emailed and you had sent me some information. It sounds like you've got a, a trip coming up, some, some training, some coaching. Can you maybe share a little bit about what's upcoming and what, what's going on right now? Well, I'm moving into a season of quite a bit of travel um, because, first of all, I do a lot of mobilization through the class perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And they're into their fall classes now that I'll start it up in September and so I've got a, a number of teachings between now and December um, in the fall classes. And I'm doing mission conferences um, in various places in Kansas City and uh, Springfield, Missouri, and teaching for some uh, youth with a mission schools as well. So the mm -hmm. fall is pretty busy. I had this wonderful time of the month of October, mostly not uh, planned for travel. And so I had... <laughs> time that I thought was going to be relaxing time at home, but we had all sorts of fun things happen here, like fail, failed retaining walls that uh, fell into the driveway and um, having to change our entire yard around and um, the air conditioner blowing up. So it, it, things have a way of filling up anyway, even if you think <laughs> you've got a month off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if I remember right, you've also... Um You've got a, a new recording of your book out, and you've got some other stuff going on in that venue. What, what's going on there? Yeah, actually, in the midst of a whole bunch of uh, disasters that we were trying to uh, handle, I was coming to the end of two big book projects. One was getting uh, my original book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, finished and finalized and online for sale as an audio book, and working with the... Um, uh, audio engineer on that, and I'd never done that before, so that was that was really neat. I recorded the whole thing. Um, Voice of the Martyrs was very kind to let me use their recording studio, and so that was a big project, a lot of hours. And then at the same time, I was writing or finishing up my first children's book, and working with an author and illustrator, um, and a and a designer, interior designer, to get that in final form and. That is such a completely different thing than writing a regular um, paperback book, which I've done two of. Uh, I got to the end of it. I had all the words there, 
and in <laughs> final form. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this because I had um, art from the artist and words from me and had no idea how to put them together. And God led me to a wonderful uh, Christian interior uh, designer for books. I don't know what you call those, a design professional uh, graphics guy <laughs> uh, named Heath Locke, and he was able to take the art and the words and put them together and really make it look like a children's book, which I was completely out of my skill set. So that was a huge project as well, as you can imagine, a lot of back and forth and, oh, could you move this up a little and could this be a different font? And yeah, so both of those were all happening at the same time this past month. And uh, it's been a busy time. Wow, that's great. And I do want to say, for those of you listening, I've I've been listening to Brian's audiobook, the recording of There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. It's really well done, if I do say so myself, but also it's just a great book. It's a really great read. I'm about halfway through it, and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm so encouraged by it. So, Brian, thanks so much for doing that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the good words. <laughs> One of the things, though, that that I was really blessed by uh, since the last time we talked was that my wife and I got an opportunity to do a trip together. Um, in life, you go through different seasons, and uh, we have been going through a season where our kids have grown up and moved out, and we've been empty nesters and saying, well, how does this change who we are and what we do? And for years, Louise would stay at home because she was had primary responsibility for helping raise the kids while I was out traveling the world and um, training church planters and things like that. And um, in 2010, she had what we like to call her midwife crisis. And she uh, decided to take training as a midwife, learn to deliver babies. And so we spent a year doing that, traveling the world. Um, It was part of a school out of uh, Youth with a Mission. And um, so the, the practical parts of it were in Tanzania and India. And um, at the end of that, she really felt called to train um, the third world midwives, particularly in villages in Africa, traditional birth attendants that she had met as she was out um, doing her training. And um, so we were, we, we were just really putting it to, um, in prayer to the Lord, saying, Lord, how can we do these two things, train church planters and train midwives uh, mm-hmm. together, you know, so that we weren't just running off in different directions trying to do this. And um, this last summer, God really uh, began to birth a new thing with us. We got an invitation to um, train midwives in Madagascar, and um, as she began to uh, plan and prepare for that, she raises all the money, by the way, for these trips by making handmade greeting cards and selling them on my book table when I speak at perspectives classes. So 100% of the money for this trip, she raised by making greeting cards, and... um, as she was preparing, uh, I said, well, I'll go along with you. There must be church planters um, where we're going that I can coach and that I can train. And so I, I made contacts, and it turned out that we had, uh, by the end, invitations to do both kinds of training in um, Madagascar and Mozambique. And then a number of opportunities cropped up in South Africa and Cape Town area of South Africa as well. And so we ended up spending two months, June and July, 
in Africa in three Southern African nations. And it was absolutely fantastic just to see how uh, the Lord was able to take these two ministries that seemed so different on the surface of things and knit them together. And we were literally both working at the same time in the kingdom with different groups of people in the same village. And um, we, we enjoyed it so much. Um, it was such a blessing to the people that uh, she was working with. Uh, one of the things that we heard over and over uh, from these midwives was that in, in their own words, they were talking about how empowered they felt, just that they had been so marginalized. And as Louise came there, it gave them a validity as she met with them, as she heard their stories, as she um, trained them in ways that did not introduce anything that was Western at all, anything that they'd have to have sent on a recurring basis, you know, technology or mm. things like that. Basically, she adhered to the exact same principles that we use when we're training church planters, is that everything you need is available locally. God can do it through you. Um, she told them over and over, God designed birth. You know, he actually created our bodies to do this. And so our job is to cooperate with him in helping these babies come into the world and uh, taught them when they ran into things to, uh, to pray and watch God work. And they were so excited by this. And so um, at the same time, I'd be maybe across, across the village square uh, training a group of church planters that were part of a movement of multiplying churches and um, getting a, seeing them um, figure out what their obstacles were and then helping them to figure out how to overcome those obstacles. It was really a rewarding time. We love hearing what God is doing wherever our guests are ministering. If you're connected to a former guest and would like to hear the update here, let them know about this segment of the Engaging Missions show. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to Tobias for being with us today and also to you for joining us. As I mentioned, show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Tobias. That's where you'll find links, quotes, resources to help you engage. Make sure that you come back next week. We'll be hearing from Kent Annan. He's an author and a missionary. He's got some really powerful stuff that, to share. I think it's a really timely conversation. Make sure that you don't miss that by subscribing to the show. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That way you don't miss this or any of the other great episodes. And also, please help us understand how we can improve the show and serve you better. You can do that by sending an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.